Shut up and sit down. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to be talking, uh, um, we're going to answer Senna's question, and the question is, because it, it fell out of my brain. Okay, Senna asks, are there any stories you've written that you have a burning desire to write an AU of? And if so, will you share what what and why? So, um, I actually, I have a couple that I'd like to do an AU of, and I also have a couple of major AUs I'd just like to explore in general in my fandoms. So, um, uh, my first AU I'd like to do is Ties That Bind. I'd like to do a big AU of Ties That Bind where um, there is no Stargate. So, it's just, you know, John living his best life on earth, working for his dad, you know, catching Rodney's eye at a party one night and going, whoa, I want some of that. Um, and yes, I have done AUs. Um, what might have been, Lantean Legacy is an AU of what might have been. Uh, and so, yeah, I've done it. Um, I tend to explore the same themes over and over again in um, various fandoms, so they kind of all have a, a ring of AU around them. Um, I, you know, well, yeah, a Finding Atlantis is definitely an AU of um, Lantean Legacy, but not so much what might have been. I think it's very dis divorced from what might have been in such a fashion that, that it really... But I do think it's more of an AU of um, Lantean Legacy than it is what might have been. Oh, yeah, um, I, see, I don't really see the similarities other than the fact that they have a similar backstory. Well, Theseus is on Finding Atlantis, and he's, you know, in, in you, what, what we'll get out of what might have been is a little different because it is an AU. Uh, but the one difference I would say that's huge between um, Finding Atlantis and what might have been is John. John is soft in um, Finding Atlantis. He's he's um, he's looking for love and wanting to make a family and maybe wanting some more babies and and the John from what might have been is hard and yeah. and yeah, I definitely vicious. don't see the connection between what might have been and Finding Atlantis, but. Um, Beyond the fact that you know Sebastian exists, so but then he always exists in any universe where John's name is John Sebastian. So, yeah, if he's John Patrick, there is no Sebastian. Okay. So anyway, you were saying you want to do a, an AU of ties to find where there's no Stargate, where it's just yeah, it's just a BDSM <laughs> just without the complication, society, sex, and and and. You know, no Sam Carter and, you know, maybe John's, you know, working um, for his dad and he sees, you know, Rodney at a party and says, I want some of that. 
mm-hmm. and just takes him home. <laughs> you want to come home with me? <laughs> yes, and yes, wh- I do. <laughs> and why wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and just have you know, just have some, just have some really sexy, kinky fun without all the crap that yeah. comes with Stargate. You know. That would be really so, entertaining. Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. Like we could do sex clubs, and um, it would just be. I could do more of um, Dr. Raja, and you know, oh, that would just be awesome. <laughs> Go to pleasure houses. I mean, it would just. I would have a really a whole lot of fun with that. But there was a lot of stress riding ties at Vine, and people were kind of assholeish about it. Um, when I was in, when I was in the meat of riding ties at Vine, I mean, I probably got a letter at least once a week. Telling me how terrible I was, um, and and three or four a day during the first week of posting in a new story in that series, and I got like ten letter, ten full blown letters in my email over the North Star, um, and this was this was actually had a different tone because there were a couple of them that were from Harry Potter fans who were pissed off that I wasn't writing Harry Potter all the time. And the, one, one accused me of luring her into my site to read Harry Potter. And then um, basically she um, she accused me of baiting and switching. Oh my god. And I was That's like, wrong. bitch, you don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then I posted that um, BDSM um, the really light one, Her Secret. And um, I got a lot of grief from that. And then I did um, What Lovers Do. And it was like, people didn't even know what to do with me in the Harry Potter You know, They were like, what? <laughs> and it wasn't even hard. I mean, they don't even really know. They have no clue. Because What Lovers Do was really, really soft core. I mean... Those poor delicate little flowers. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> it really was very soft core. Yeah, um, I mean, you know. <sighs> I mean, and in a lot of ways, even ties that bind. I don't. And, and for those of for the people out there who have freaked out reading ties that bind, other than you, you have some pretty extreme pain kink in it. Mm-hmm. But other than other than pretty extreme impact play and the and the like the play pierces and stuff. Um. Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty soft. It's pretty compared tame, to what I've that, seen. It's pretty tame in that regard too. You don't really explore any of the, and I understand why we've talked about why. But right. You don't really explore any of the really extreme kinks. Um, it does, not even the extreme pain kinks, like um, what you call the suspension piercing. Yeah, the, the 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 flesh hooks. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't just, I didn't go over flesh hooks. I didn't do any kind of sounding. Um, I didn't even do any figging because. As much as I enjoy reading that, um, I just don't want to encourage my readers to try that out. Although, did you read that story about me and Earth Fair? I'm over in Earth Fair. It's a it's it's an organic food store, so I really appreciate their dedication to getting organic produce for this. Um, there's these two young men, probably college age, and they're over. <laughs> And they are searching quite ardently through the ginger. And they were like, no, this is too small. And they're like, no, this is too big. It'd be too much work. Um, and <laughs> you're just going around. This was not the right shape. And I saw one that would be perfect. I knew exactly what they wanted it for. 
So I just picked it up and then just reached over and put it down in front of them. <laughs> hey, if you're gonna, you might as well get the organic. Right? And he was like, he looked at it and then he looked at his, I guess his boyfriend. And they both got really pink in the face and he said, thanks, ma'am. And then he put it in this little plastic bag and they ran away. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course they did. If they, if they hadn't, at least they didn't forget it. You know, they were like, well, no, they had a mission and they fulfilled it. <laughs> I will say when it comes to the ginger, though, better too big than too small, because you can always cut it down. Right. You, you can't size up in that regard and you don't want it to get lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You definitely do not want it to get lost. But, um, yeah, I'm a very, I'm a very godmother, the very big mother, more like it. Um, ginger mother. N none of that works. Um, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> the object she, was definitely obtained she, but it was just adorable on the fire <laughs> I, I was gonna say she's the fairy flaming ass mother <laughs> that's not good either <laughs> but anyways yeah so but i don't have that stuff in ties that bind i don't have the sounding i don't have um i don't have knife play um remember did you have electricity play I did not, which is, you know, honestly, one of the weirdest parts about the whole thing, because that's one of my biggest kink. Electri electricity play can be kind of tame, especially if you, like, focus, like, on violet wands. And, I mean, it yeah. can be, I mean, it can be, if, if you do it, like, with, like, especially with a violet wand. Yeah, the, well, get... yeah, there is the whip. Um, yeah. um, there is the, the, the electrified whip. So. But, I mean, if you do electricity with, like, a violet wand, you can get actually very intense sensation, especially on certain parts of the body, and it'd be really safe, um, as opposed to, like, some of the more extreme forms of electricity play. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, Involving jumper about, cables? Well, cattle prods, tasers, you know, I mean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, whatever. I mean, yeah, and the, the whip comes up, and even the violet wand comes up, because John admits to having one, just um, Rodney had never expressed any interest in it, and so they had never played with it. Um, it comes up as a, a distraction conversation that he's having with McKay to keep him focused when they're going to rescue him during the incident where um, um, Jake Holland tries to kill him. So um, it comes up as a distraction, but it, but it is there. It's just never been explored. I did try to stay away from those things because I didn't want people to treat it like an instruction manual. Yeah, it's this weird like little like line you're trying to walk. It's like if I don't give like safety information and somebody does this and they're not safe, well then what? But if I do give safety information, that's like an instruction manual, and I don't want it to be that. <laughs> so and also yeah. it becomes like not sexy. Yeah, so it's really hard to, you know, you probably warning you of this, you know, I'm leaving out all of the safety protocols, you know, the majority of them. So please don't do this on your own. <laughs> trust or me, you don't all, know. Really, I mean, trust me, don't. you don't know what you're doing. And honestly, yeah, I mean, if if, if you want to play with Ginger, if, if you think you want to go that route, cut off a piece and leave it on your tongue. And if you can't keep it on your tongue for... A full minute, you don't need to put it anywhere in your body. Or I would even say put it on your nipples. If you if you can't handle it on your nipples for four or five minutes, you definitely don't want it in your ass. <laughs> just... well, see, I pick the tongue because the tongue is wet, and it would, you know, it would yeah. kind of the moisture. <laughs> but, people, but, but, think, but, but people are used. The thing is, people are used to eating hot things, and they're used to eating yeah. ginger. So but you're just raw ginger on your tongue for a full minute. 
Well, I mean, I, I know guys who eat ghost pepper, so I don't know. Whatever. Um, mm. It's just not this. I think you become inured to that. You can become very inured to that in your mouth. So it may not, the mouth may not be a good test for some people. Um, the nipples would be like a step up test. It's sort of like if you, if you might think you might have some lost sensations in that regard in your mouth, try putting on your nipples. If it's driving you crazy, you don't want it in your ass. <laughs> I'm just saying. And honestly, you never want it in your vagina. I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I mean, I know some people do it, but it just, just from a pure, I mean, the vagina is very sensitive about pH and stuff. And right, I don't know, think it's a good idea. Yeah. It's just, it's just not a good idea to put food products in your, you're just asking for a in your You are, or, or a UTI or something like that. And I know, I mean I, I mean, I know I've, I've <laughs> certainly, I've seen, I've seen dick figging. I know guys who are into it, but I wouldn't recommend it in the urethra either. Ugh. No, that's harsh. That's hardcore. That is hardcore masochism right there. But yeah, I mean, and I also, in a lot of ways, ties it bind is uh, uh, one of the things that Xanth did in in her in her BDSMU is that she didn't shy away from the um, the abusive elements um, of such an environment, and I did. Um, even though you know Rodney's coming out of an abusive relationship, I never started on screen, um, and so. You know, there are, in a BDSM world where, even if it's just social ownership, um, there there is room for a lot of emotional and physical abuse. Yeah, gaslighting becomes a really big problem in that kind of, I mean, a problem in our society. So it would be a really big problem in a society that, that has a, an aspect. But, <clears throat> I mean, you put in a lot of consequences for people not behaving well if that kind of stuff is found out. So it makes... That I mean, also one of the things that's a problem for me and a lot of BDSM AUs is the um, I was never into and still I'm not not was never but still I'm not into the humiliation aspects of a lot of BDSM play and so a lot of and I, and I know that that is for a lot of people a big factor in what they find alluring or yeah appealing. I don't write humiliation either yeah so it, it, especially intense humiliation scenes make me really uncomfortable. I guess um, I can hit an embarrassment. I can't even watch somebody on television being embarrassed. I have to get up and leave the room. Yeah. The I worst mean, part is having some asshole with you who will pause it. Oh, I'll pause. No, don't pause it. <laughs> I don't need it paused. <laughs> there was um, so I so I don't so one of the things in a lot of BDSM AUs that I've read is there tends to be uh, an emphasis on the humiliation factor because that is a big component for a lot of people and and it's just not my kink so it so that was a really appealing thing for about ties that bind for me is was the the, the lack of of sort of i would almost call it institutionalized humiliation in the, in there um I remember like, I was being careful with the punishment scenes that take place to make sure that there was no um I didn't want there to be an element of shame attached to accepting a public punishment, which sounds really weird when you, when you think about it, right? And so I was like, how do I do this where it doesn't like, look... It's just a part of life. And that's, it's just a part of life. Know. So that's to be ashamed of. This is what's going to happen. Um, and I think that I really... I, that's one of the reasons why I included that husband and wife pair where she was actually his superior officer in the field, but she was his submissive and he was, <laughs> he's a discipline problem. And so she keeps having to have him disciplined. Um, and he keeps taking it, 
because he knows he's wrong. Um, and so he keeps taking the physical punishment to avoid his 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 record being um, fucked up because he's being an asshole to his wife in the field. Um, and so, but I wanted it to happen in a way that was like, okay, this is something I've done. I'm, I'm going to have to pay for it. This is how I'm paying for it. But I'm not ashamed of it. And I'm, I'm not embarrassed. Here, like, let's go. <laughs> let's just let's just get the, it's sort of like paying for, it's like paying for your speeding ticket i'm <laughs> g- give me the spanking let's move on um but a lot of people didn't think i succeeded in that um there were several emails not a lot but some people that they felt like the public punishment was um inappropriate and i'm thinking to myself i wonder what kind of responses xanth got because her public punishment le- element was harsh yeah well probably well but she has she she had i think quite a body of bdsm work behind her already um so before before her her au came out because she had a big body of bdsm work in x-files so um i'm sure the people who read her already or had followed her into other fandoms were quite familiar with her approach to BDSM. So I can't imagine she probably Well, I do know that she got so complaint. much crap in Stargate because of um, coming home and um, the general and Dr. Shepard that she stopped writing Stargate altogether. Oh. So. In fact, when I, when I emailed her and asked her about um, posting Ties That Bind, because I, I, I wrote it for myself, and I never really intended on sharing it until I read like the eighth or tenth time. I thought, you know, well, someone, you know, my, my readers might want to read this. <laughs> I've been reading it a lot, so maybe they want to read it too. And so I emailed her and asked her if she was okay with it. Um, and she said, yeah, of course, but just be prepared because the Stargate fandom doesn't always respond well to BDSM. And I thought I was prepared. Well, guess what? You found out. You know, the I thing was about, not. The thing about the humiliation aspect in in in, I think it's kind of the reader response to it is completely different than whether or not it's actually there because it's in the. To me, it's apparent if the author is intending there to be a humiliation aspect because if they are, then they write the submissive feeling humiliated or shamed or blah blah blah. So it's when I'm seeing those kinds of emotions written in. Now, some things I just don't like reading about, right? But to me, they feel humiliating, even if they're not written that way. But that's more me. But when the author is writing in those emotions, I know they intend that on purpose. So I never saw you writing those emotion um, in there. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't do well with shame. I mean, when you know, when I first got involved in the BDSM community, like way back in another life, you know, like like long enough ago that there are people probably in our chat room right now who who are younger than when I was doing this, right? So, I mean, <laughs> this is like twenty five. You weren't even you weren't 20, even sparkle in your daddy's you eye when she was doing this. Yeah, twenty six years. So I joined I joined a dungeon and they had classes, right? And um. So I'm learning, you know, I'm learning, I'm learning how to do this stuff, right? Because to me, that's the way you didn't pick up weird books, you know, weird fiction books and learn how to do BDSM at that time. You, you went and you, you worked at it. So I, um, I think even now you should, should absolutely. So I went to a lot of classes and one of the classes I went to, you know, this is when I hadn't quite learned my own threshold on things was safe face slapping. Basically it was about how to slap somebody in the face safely. And, um, 
I'm like trying to figure out how this, I wasn't sure at that point in time, how is this factor into things? Well, well, basically it was, I have to say, it's probably one of the most intimate because the, the Dom and the sub doing, they, were, they actually had somebody else kind of talking to it. And then they had a Dom and a sub doing the scene and then somebody else explaining what was going on. And then you could pair up and practice kind of thing. Um, and uh, it was probably one of the most intimate things I've ever seen was this scene where she was probably slapped 30 or 40 times in this scene not always super hard right but the point the point was learning how to do it so that you don't harm someone damage their neck blah 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 but i mean she was i, I talked to her after about the whole thing because she just seemed like emotionally destroyed and humiliation was her big kink it was her oh. big thing and and so the more she must have gotten off so hard the more he slapped her though in front of all those people the the more it did the more further it pushed her into subspace and so she was utterly felt she said so she was crying for the majority of the scene and um and she said it wasn't because it really hurt all that much because she was also a masochist but it was the whole shame aspect of being um just treated like that in front of this room full of people. And I just, I was, and the more I talked to her, the more I was like, wow, this is not for me. I'm going back to that stage combat class because <laughs> I'm really uncomfortable. <laughs> well, it's, it's always good to learn to know your boundaries. Yes. Yes. So, um, but humiliation have done that for me. I really have a problem. I have a real problem with second, um, with, um, and embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so no. When a character on a movie it. does something really dumb and they really embarrass themselves in front of a bunch of people, I cringe inside. I mean, I will cover my face. I will pause the movie. I will, you know, have to get up and leave the room. It's just it doesn't work. I have to fast forward through a movie if it's just me. You know. Yeah. I'll yeah. have to get up. But the worst part, like I said, is if you're watching it with somebody and they offer to pause. No, don't pause. Absolutely don't pause. I'm running away for a reason. <laughs> Please don't pause. That, that, that's not what I want. <laughs> I can't. But yeah, so I would love to write a big BDSM AU of um, ties that bind. You know, just obviously BDSM. But an AU of ties that bind where they're on Earth and, you know, um, you know Rodney's doing his science and, you know, Everybody's happy and relaxed and just sex. <laughs> just everybody getting laid. <laughs> but see, on Earth, I could also explore stories with different characters like Patrick and, um, and, and Jonah and um, David and his wife. And it wouldn't be out of place. Mm -hmm. You know, you could it'd be like your version of the monster of the week, except for the scene of the week. Right. Yeah. <laughs> See how John's father would be totally like so. I saw a submissive today. I think you'll like him. <laughs> he was a complete Dad. asshole. <laughs> Dad. Well, wait. <laughs> you know you I like to be challenged. <laughs> I told you no more blind hookups. But this one, I this one's really snarky. I think this one's for you. Yeah, I, I think I I think I hit the jackpot. And he's to saw it. So what besides oh, yeah. selling it? it. <laughs> what besides ties it bind? What's what turned you on? In, but from yeah, an AU, you know, from so an AU perspective. It'd be hilarious. 
It'd be great. I, <laughs> I'd be totally into it. John's trying to fly across the country to avoid his dad's matchmaking. <laughs> Ends up at the party with the scientists his dad was talking about. <laughs> and then, you know, the thing about um, AUs of your own of, of your own is you already got all the world building done. You right. Know? Yeah. You just go bust out your world, your series Bible and go, now, 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 now. Who did what to who? <laughs> What's going on in this house? And what can I do about it? <laughs> It'll just be a lot of fun. I can I could explore house politics. Um, yeah, oh, but so, then, you, then you'd have to warn for politics. <laughs> I am never fucking warning for politics. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It would just be a lot of fun. And the other one actually that really appeals to me that's currently posted on my site is The Magical Promise. It's Harry Potter. And Harry is a war mage with ICW. And Hermione um, is um, with the world court and i would you know i would i like the idea of, of them being in these positions and so it would be fun to write an au of that where they weren't estranged for 10 years um and um you know harry's doing his thing and she's doing hers and every once in a while they meet up you know for dinner and um just to reconnect as friends and then and then one night they meet for dinner somewhere and He's looking good and she's looking good and neither one of them are dating anybody. And it was like, it's like, you know, <laughs> I'm really digging that beard you got going on right now. <laughs> the beard. Yeah. The beard. <laughs> was it Lady Holder? Why have I never sat on your face? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> was it Lady Holder who shared a picture in chat the other day of sets of like the beard, men's push-up bra or something like that? Yeah. And there were, there were three it's men totally. that I would not traditionally, and that picture was of three men I would not traditionally consider attractive that I, to me, that I was like, oh. There you go. <laughs> they just needed a beard. <laughs> what, is, what is up with this beard thing? The beard upgrade is for real. So, but yeah, I would I would like to explore that you know them as adults and you know knee deep in their careers and then them suddenly having this this attraction for each other that they didn't have before and neither one of them knows quite what to do with it, but they can't stop having sex <laughs> because hello beard. <laughs> yeah. Speed spanking. Somebody up, Ellie up above said you know, something about BDSM honestly, speed dating seminar. The one in the middle is the most stunning. I know, right? Whoa. I don't even know. I mean, how does he turn from that to that? That's just like, what? I mean, I mean, I mean, he went from dweeb to daddy. It broke my brain. <laughs> it, it, Steve Carell looking like that with a beard. I was like, I was like, what the fuck, dude? I mean, he just like, he just totally. They both did on the bottom. I mean, the other guy on top, he looks very interesting with the beard. Um, it's very attractive. Interesting. But these two, they went from dweeb to daddy, and I don't even understand. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. But yeah, I mean, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As that is just charming. She says... Um, 
Her great uncle, after being friends with the woman for 28 years, realized during their regular coffee meeting that he'd been in love with her for decades. She thought he was slow on the uptake, but she married him anyway. He was <laughs> slow on the uptake. <laughs> he, she didn't just think it. That's just a fact. Yeah, I much prefer Chris Evans with a beard, I have to say. Chris, um, Chris, Chris one of those ones that, that to me, it's like either either's good. It, it, I'll both are good, but Chris Evans with a beard is... <laughs> it's just like, I don't even know. <laughs> All the beard porn. All the beard porn. But yes, I think that would be a lot of fun. So, what are yours? Um, well, the first one I have... I've actually plotted more than one AU of this would be if, if found. Um, I... One of them... I want. I, I plotted... Well, we talked about it on the air. Um, uh, the one with... Uh, with the, where the trust starts going after gene carriers and... Um, Tony winds up in Atlantis and the city changes. John's next of kin. Yeah. So that would be definitely sort of an AU of, of, of if found because it would have the same basic premise, right? Of how um, the kidnapping and all of that. It would almost be the exact same backstory. It's just you don't have that one procedural error that resulted in if found happening. And then the other one, and I'm thinking about doing this for... Um, One of the stories next year. Either it depends upon how long the plot gets on me. Um, is uh, a Sentinel Guide AU of it? So <clears throat> where that 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 Patrick Patrick meets his 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 adult son. I'm mean, Patrick's a Sentinel, and as soon as he as soon as he gets close to him, smells him, he knows it's his, his missing kids. So, um, if found was certainly the first one that I thought of when I thought of stories I would want to do AU's of of my um, own work would be would be definitely that one. And I I kind of toyed with a couple other ideas as well for that, but because um, I'm just intrigued by the idea of Tony as a shepherd. But um, I think that outside of those two, if I were to explore it further, I'd want to explore him finding his family sooner. So, like when he's a kid, I just have like being left in Hawaii. Yeah, I haven't quite worked out how to make that happen um, because, like that, the genetic testing wouldn't have been been there really that sophisticated to, yeah um no but um infant footprints and, and handprints are taken um so you have like um you have a kid in hawaii who who doesn't want maybe when he realizes his dad left him in that hotel instead of saying staying and running up a room service bill he leaves because he doesn't want to be around Senior any more than Senior wants to be around him. And when the cops find him, he refuses to give them their, his information. So they fingerprint him. Hmm. And the prints come back on a missing baby. Oh my god. It is a platypus. <laughs> it is a platypus. Platypus are adorable. <laughs> yes, and Michael Weatherly is holding a platypus in that picture. Now, Tom, I don't think the beard... I actually prefer Tom without the beard. I don't know about the hair color, actually. I'm just all aboard the ginger train when it comes to Tom Hiddleston. Um, 
prefer that I prefer no beard though. Friend, so no beard. Um, and, like <laughs> I don't care what his face he's got. Well, he can have a beard or no beard. I just all oh, that natural hair color. It's just lovely. And speaking of, in terms of beards, like you take most of the cast of all of the adult cast of um, um, why can't I come up with the words today? It's like I'm both word and math challenged. How is that allowed to happen on the same day? I'm not sure. Did the hiccups fuck you up? Well, I think it was the gallon of water I drank. Oh, um, could be. But the cast of the adult, adult cast of team. I mean, all of those guys, um, starting with kind of himself. Uh, I don't know what looks. Oh, I disconnected. Wow. Just lovely. Is it Hawkland or Hawkland? The video went to red, so I had to reconnect. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was probably, it probably didn't care. It was probably just me. But there's some pictures of Bear Born. That are just like, wow. Um, oh, yeah, it's right there. It's like right up front. I mean, I had a moment. And the task. I mean, what the fuck? Who does this to somebody? Uh, what's wrong with him? I mean, just. I don't know. It just, it's like it made my brain offline. Um, He's even majestic without the long hair. Yes, he is. But I do think that that for me that the the Daddy Award definitely goes to Jr. Bourne on the on the whole beard front because damn. Yeah, right. It's like what happened, dude? What? I don't even. What? What? It, oof. Speaking of, um, I was gathering pictures for my um my Sentinel. Um, all my Sentinel stories for next year. <laughs> it's just, there's so many. There's going to be so many. There's going to be four. So. It always is. Um, we, sh we share a lot of pictures in the chat room and uh, you would just, oh, ooh and ah over them. Um, that dude that plays Uncle Peter on um, Teen Wolf. Bowen. He's got yeah. going on. Oh yeah, and the beard doesn't hurt. No, but not having a beard doesn't hurt either. He just looks really sexual. Kind of like that guy that plays Lucifer. Yeah, he looks like he's always about four seconds from having sex, right? I mean, it's like, dude. <laughs> Tom Ellis, yeah. Tom Ellis looks like sex on a stick. I mean, he just looks like he just... Either he's about to fuck, or he just fucked. <laughs> I mean, always. It's about what? You don't even... <laughs> what do you call that? Big dick energy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like... that, yeah, that's what that is. That is big dick energy right there. Um, Tom Ellis is, is overflowing with the BDE. Yeah. Another one he's really overflowing with BDE would be Gerard Butler. You're uh -huh. like, what? what? <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's anything else of mine that I find to be 
No. 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 We see, even no. without a beard, he's just really hot. He's just really attractive. Uh, Ian. Whatever. Ian Bowen. Ian Bowen. Yeah. I have not seen. Um, I saw the first one. Is that is that Olympus? Because and then there's one set in London. I've not seen the one set in London yet, but I need to. But I'm all about Olympus has fallen. Yeah, that's just. Although I'm also terribly fond of White House Down. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I love it. I love it when he has a rocket launcher. He goes, "Is that the president?" <laughs> <laughs> They're all appalled the president has a rocket launcher. Why do he, why is he letting him handle the rocket launcher? <laughs> it's fantastic. White House down. It's got um Channing Tatum. Uh, what's his name? Channing Tatum. The stripper guy. But, Channing Tatum. Yeah, Channing Tatum and Jamie Foxx. And, and Jamie Foxx is the president. I would totally vote for a president who could use a rocket launcher. Absolutely. Yes. Um, as long as it wasn't a Republican. Because um, I got standards. But yeah, so that's pretty hilarious. But I, I really do enjoy White House Down just because it's so ridiculous. And I also enjoy Olympus um, Has Fallen because it's less ridiculous. But not completely not ridiculous. <laughs> and I love that kind of thing. My sister has a hot She hard noped out of um, um. Oh, my mic is turned way the fuck down. How did that even happen? What now? My sister had a. She has, she noped out of London this fall. She enjoyed Olympus this fall for the entertainment factor, but I guess they 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 strained her credulity. Um, with, with I guess some significant procedural inaccuracy she went nope i can't i can't i can't <laughs> is she serious i mean yeah oh shoulder holsters the only thing better than a shoulder holster is a thigh holster the thigh holster yeah <laughs> the dick frame so you gotta have two. One is good, but two is better. <laughs> two yeah. is way better. Because you get the frame. You, know, you get the dick yeah. frame. And who'd have thought it, but Rob Morrow pulled that off like a boss. Yeah, the first time I saw him in that, I was like, whoa. Like, what the fuck is that? It's like, wait. Because I was used to seeing him in Northern Exposure, and I was like, I liked Rob Morrow. I was expecting to like him on Numbers. because and, um, I was like, I was not surprised that I like him. And then we see him in Tactical Gear, and I was like, what the fuck? Just happened on my TV. Because <laughs> <laughs> I always thought he was kind of, he, he sort of had that kind of geek vibe, even, even on Northern Exposure. He had kind of a geek vibe, right? But he's, but he threw off the competent, oh, yeah. in charge... I was like, it was great. Yeah, on numbers, he just kind of rocked in and fat, and it was like, holy crap, dude. Oh, okay. It's like oh, my I microphone got completely... No, it was me. My microphone, like, it got completely reset. I don't understand the shenanigans going on over here on my computer. 
Okay. It did. It keeps going down. I have never licked my television. I mean, even though I dust it, I still wouldn't do that. Why would you lick your TV? Apparently, um, Ass thinks I would, but I would not. I don't lick my electronics, so it's a recipe for getting zapped. Etc. But yeah, there's something about the two thigh holster situation that perfectly frames the dick that you just can't really can't shake a stick at that. It's just great. Fantastic. I um the other story I've plotted, I did plot an AU. I plotted two AUs of. Um the first AU I plotted of it was I plot it was the first Teen Wolf story I plotted was an AU of emergence that would have been Teen Wolf where instead of wolves we'd have dragons, right? Uh -huh. But it wound up I wound up deciding, oh, I'm gonna change this world building and I'm gonna change that and I'm gonna change that and I'm gonna change that. And before I knew it, I had something completely different that bore no resemblance whatsoever to the original. And then I'm like, why wouldn't I just write this as an original fantasy novel? And I put it aside. So <laughs> Plop that over there. But then I have to admit, there was this moment I had this thing where I really pondered, like doing a completely different version of the story that was Mothership. I'm not mad. Yeah. So it would be, I don't, it's kind of hard to call it an AU because it doesn't have, it wouldn't have anything in foundation similar to Emergence, but it would use a lot of the same, a lot of similar concepts. But it just wouldn't have anything. It would be just completely different. In in, it, so it's almost more like fanfic of my work, it's like fanficing my own work, than calling it perfectly AU. fine. Yeah. <laughs> so my, that's my mo. That's my standard operating procedure. That's my SOP. I'm not sure that, there, I mean, there's a lot of my stories I don't think would lend themselves well to an AU of themselves. Um, well, I thought the same thing, actually. So I was thinking about other AUs that I would like to write, like big AUs, like BDSM. Um, you know, what other kind of big concept AU would I like to try? And I've got four, well, three, because I already talked about the BDSM. I'd like to do a big mutant AU. Just full-blown, in-your-face mutant AU. Like X-Gene type mutant or just not not human? Um, I don't know. Maybe X-Gene. Maybe just like, you know, maybe just an expansion of um, the air the angels breathe. Um, just a full-blown boom in your face, you know, mutant AU. No. I, no. Don't put up, don't put up terrible beard porn. That's, that's, I'm, I'm not on board with that. No. I really hope he didn't keep that long. He looks like a comic book villain. I mean, what the hell? And maybe that was the plan. Maybe. Um, okay. So, a mutant AU. That'd be fun. And one of the things I, I have to say, one of the things I like about the X gene, even though I didn't like a lot of the politics and stuff in um, the X Men, that the whole thing there. But it, it was just, it just, it. I think that the one of the reasons why I never was interested in writing in the X Men was the built-in angst in the world, right? The built-in all the prejudice to deal with, and and the hiding and the secrecy. So it could be really fun to write an AU where that wasn't as much of a factor. Um, 
But I saw a you where it's like um everyone just assumes you are a mutant. It's like yeah, it's just it was so, more like so you just eliminate a lot of those problems. And so what do you got so going what, on? <laughs> yeah, what can you do? It's sort of like, it's sort of like sky high, but better. <laughs> right, right, right. I would love actually to write a sky high AU with um I don't know I don't know who I'd pick, but it would be a lot of fun to put uh, a bunch of characters. But I'm not sure if I want to write a high school AU. But if I did, it would definitely be a sky high one. <laughs> yeah, well, if I it, I would probably want to do like a college version. If I were to do like a superhero AU, like a superhero training thing, it'd be like a post post high school. It'd be like a college. More type thing because I don't actually want to write. You know, I I didn't want to. I wouldn't have wanted to write going to high school when I was in high school. <laughs> so no, that's just a terrible fic tease, Ellie. Terrible, terrible. When you get that done, I'm all in. <laughs> what do you mean the main character doesn't have one? Well, the fact is, if I wrote a story about a mutant AU, my main character of course would be mutant. What would be the point of not? I already read a whole bunch of stories where my character isn't a mutant. <laughs> well, but I mean, you see that sometimes people like to explore the, 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 the person who isn't in the thing. I mean, we see that come up we see that come up every freaking time. Doesn't it happen every time we do a Sentinel challenge where someone asks, can I write about someone who's not a Sentinel? And I'm like, well, that's not the challenge. Actually. Right? It's like, can I write like the one person in the universe who doesn't have enhanced senses? No. Um. Oh, the the no hero. I mean, I see. I don't actually see the attraction. I was about to lie and say I did. I don't actually see the attraction of the outsider point of view. I never have. I don't like to read it, and I wouldn't want to write it. Um, I like to be in it. I like to be in the middle. Yeah, I like. I like the intimacy of of. Um, I, I like. The, I like to feel like I have a connection with the character I'm writing or reading, and what and when it comes to fan fiction, I'm drawn to characters I like. So I don't particularly have any much interest in reading, getting an intimate, you know, connection, feeling that connection with some person who's a throw, basically a throwaway character, that kind of outsider point of view. So, and there's no such thing really as an outsider point of view in original fiction. So it's kind of it's kind of a, a thing unique to fandom um, that just, but and, and which is weird right, to me. because in original fiction, your main character is your main character. It just, it is, right? And if they're always on the outside looking in, then that's really unfortunate. But so that outsider point of view thing, it, it's just, it's just, it's difficult um, for me to get into because I'm, I read fandom for characters. Not because I find the worlds fascinating. I mean, I don't read NCIS because I'm so into their procedural inaccuracies. <laughs> I read it because <laughs> I like Tony. So, you know, the outsider point of view only works if I if it's like a chapter here or there where Tony's not available. I'm just saying. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'd like to write a mutant AU. Um, I also like to write. I like. To, I'd like to try again to write a big shifter AU. 
Uh, I tried once before with Stargate, and I made the mistake of trying to conquer my issues with ABO at the same time, and that was a mistake. Um, I did a lot of awesome world building, though, for um, for my shifters, and so I'd want to take that back. And um, I also sometimes I think about taking that story out and removing the ABO elements that I was trying to work with and seeing what I have left. Um, because I really enjoyed the characterization and I enjoyed the world I was building beyond the ABO stuff. Um, so yeah, I do not, I do not know this story. I shared it with you. Did you? They're wolves. I'm totally blank here, dude. <laughs> Maybe totally it was blank. during that time when you forgot practically everything you did during that whole six months. <laughs> I mean, I remember reading, um, the the uh, that one sentinel thing. Um, no, this was not a sentinel thing. This was a. No, um, but I read the sentinel thing that you weren't happy with. Remember that? Yeah, I remember, yeah. I remember but no, that. this is a werewolf thing. I actually had up on um, rough trade. Okay. That's super distracting. <laughs> that was my um, um, uh, rough trade for the sh um, for the shifter challenge. That was before I started rough trade. Right. But well, I thought I, I had shared with you that story because I was having problems with the trying to make the ABO part consensual. Um, I was trying to make it work. You know, I, th I thought I had shared that with you. But yeah, I have this story. I, I think I have about 20k of it. Um, and they're basically humans who have been altered by an alien race that Ra brought to Earth. I'm still and blank. If and I read that, Therans, and if I, um, if I read, if I read that, I read it when the skull fracture was still healing. <laughs> probably, probably. Um, okay, the theory and apathy kind of thing, um, theory and thropy or whatever it is. Theory and thropy, theory and apathy. I don't know how I pronounce that. I'm not even sure which word it is. I've that does sound vaguely familiar. That yeah, they, um, they were called Therans, and um, they broke away. Um, and helped the humans on Earth rebel against Ra. Um, and they were living amongst them. And then one of their kind um, uh, purposefully infects other humans to continue their race. And it, it, they, they have a big dust-up about it. And that's all, that's all in the past. Um, but I wrote a, a real complex history for them. Um, and so John is a Theron, and he is the military leader on Atlantis. And Rodney gets the gene therapy. And Rodney was latent. He, um, he'd actually been thrown out of his family pack because he didn't shift for the first time when he, when he hit puberty. Um, <clears throat> and... Um, it ended up destroying his family pack because uh, the, the other Therans were like, how fucking dare you throw away your own kid? You know? And so um, Rodney comes to Atlantis and he's and he's latent. And um, Carson gives him the ATA therapy and it wakes up his Theran genetics. And he's not ready for it. None of them are. And um, so, Yeah. And that's fine. Th those elements are fine. But I was also trying to push the ABO in to try to force myself to deal with the trope. And that was a mistake. Because there were Alpha and Omegas who were human. And then there were Alpha and Omegas who were Theron. And it was like I threw this alien race on top of the Alpha Omega thing that was already happening on Earth. Gotcha. 
And it was just, it was too much. And I couldn't make it work. And so that kind of fell apart on me. So I'd like another, I'd like another go at shifter. Yeah. It was on rough trade. Yes. It was, it was uh, on the rough trade shifter challenge. Which was either 2012 or April 2013. I think maybe Something it was like April. Because my first rough trade challenge was November 2013. It was, it was, I mean, it was not July because July was original fiction. So it had to have been April or the Nano before that. So I think it was a um, Nano, and I totally failed at it. Um, that have been 2012. Yeah, I, um, I, you know, I did write the Big Shifter AU. Um, I, I did. Well, I, I think I dealt with the ABO issues in Subversive with the, you know, the Omegas are the head of the pack. They're the head of the tribes. You know. Um, so I sort of inverted the power structure there, but I did keep the um, the element of them being able to have children and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, but I, I also didn't do it with like male. I did it with Omegas as a completely separate gender. Mm-hmm. So um, I put, I did put with that one, I did put a lot of effort into, um, I don't even know that I could call it ABO trope with how far away from the standard the, of the tropes that it went. There's no mindless heat. The Omegas are the head of the the packs. They are um, um, they're just completely separate gender. Uh, so it's it, I I I don't know that I would I, like even labeling it ABO is a little bit I felt like would be almost like a little bit misleading because I don't think a lot of the things people go to that trope for or even exist in that story, right? Uh, but at the same time, I think it would be fun to write a shifter AU that has absolutely nothing to do with any of that. Just, you know, werewolves and big cats, maybe some big bears. cats. Yes. I'm not remotely interested in were cat were ferrets or were guinea pigs or Yeah, you yeah, know, maybe some bears. Were gerbils. Some bears. You know, there's no were rats, not doing it. No way. Would it be hugging. great if, like, the earth, the people from Earth come and they're like a mixture of cats and dogs, or wolves, cats and wolves, and they get to Atlantis and they're all going about their business and they're encountering other shifters and everything's fine. Then they meet Ronan and he's like some big giant bear shifter. <laughs> <laughs> Ronan is definitely a bear shifter. I'm I'm all on board with that. <laughs> I don't know that I would call Grimm a shifter world. It's definitely no. kind of a supernatural kind of thing, but it's not. I mean, it's kind of a little bit. Yeah, it's 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 kind of it's kind of squishy. Um, were shark. <laughs> my Garrett's a tiger. I'm like, oh no, he might be a were shark. Um, There's actually a whole series of stories where. Um, Where Danny is a shark. Yeah, he's a he's a megalodon. Uh, megalodon, yeah, in, yeah. In Joe, Joe Joe Lawson wrote wrote that. It's really good, really good story. It's great stuff. Uh, but yeah, doing just a big shifter AU. Um, um, I have a, I do have a story. It's a, I do have a story plotted called. I actually my working title is Jilly's Big Whore AU, but <laughs> that's <laughs> a little bit misleading. I was talking to Senna one night <laughs> about writing an A the yeah, the big whore are you. <laughs> not, not about a whore <laughs> of unusual size. 
Uh, a big Are you AU. sure? Yeah, a big AU about horrors. There you go. Um, no, I was thinking we were, t- we were talking about like what would society, how would society look, how would it be different if like the most revered occupation was sex worker. And that you would have to go through rigorous screening and training and, you know, sex is very normalized and paying for sex is very acceptable and it's actually encouraged and society is a lot different. And, it's um, kind of like on through- Firefly when they brought her on board to increase their respectability. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so you have, um, you know, you have levels you work work up toward, you'd have, you know, and, and like the, the, the top tier, um, you know, uh, you have your top tier, like you're like the elite sex worker, right? Which would be like one of the most prestigious um, positions you could hold in society would be to achieve this rank. It'd be sort of like, and if you were in the military, it'd be sort of like being a five-star general, right? So, so we, ha- we, we, we kind of were like batting this back and forth, talking about what that world would look like and how, and, and in some ways I think it kind of kind of popped out a little bit looking like, ties that bind in some fashion but not exactly because i definitely think they would have to be the funny thing is i was like well, there'd have to be training facilities right i'm like but what would those be called and like well the natural thing you would call the place where you train sex workers is pleasure houses <laughs> but that, that felt very, yeah. deriv- very derivative but that's actually the most natural thing to call them i mean what else would you call them exactly what else would you call it so called the pleasure academy that sounds a little or the fuck house. That sounds you know. Really so awful. yeah, pleasure houses. It, ma- it makes the most sense. I, I wouldn't be pissed off if you used it. That makes it. It's a hundred percent. It makes the most sense. Nothing else. I mean, that's why I chose it because nothing else works. <laughs> right. Well, what do you gonna call it? The 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 sex training facility. So because um, that sounds sexy. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, so on my hard drive, it's just plotted. I, that's all it's plot called is the big whore you. Um, <laughs> I would totally want to write in the big whore AU. <laughs> uh, so you know, that was that was uh, that was that was one of the AUs that I had plotted out that I thought someday I might get around to writing that. But the thing is, I I felt like I was a little bit like, do I just write like sexcapades, you know, like episode after ex- episode of like sexcapades or, you know, explore what happens when somebody falls in love and they, I'm thinking that, you know, you know, big time monogamy wouldn't be a big thing typically that like, you're cashing in and saying you're out of the sex worker thing would be like a really big deal. So I mean, I kind of had this whole idea about, you know, that most people, even when they fall in love and get married, that if you've achieved any kind of status as a sex worker, that you don't just stop doing that. So, um, so I was kind of challenging my own kind of issue, my own kind of notions about monogamy and, and what that kind of thing would look like. Um, but I was—I just found—I just found the idea very entertaining, and I almost started working on it at one point. But then I got distracted by something else because I'm very easily distracted. <laughs> so, so, but, but part of it was because I didn't have like an overarching storyline. I just had some characters I had plotted what their their role would be in that world, and how that that kind of everything would kind of go down. And um, I don't know. So the big horror AU was one of the AUs I consider. Shifter AU would be fun. I, I kind of, you know, when I was younger, one of my favorite things when I was younger, I don't really like them now, 
which is funny because I actually I'll almost say I avoid them. But when I was my 20s, early 20s, I read a lot of vampire stories. <laughs> uh, a lot of yeah, me too. Stories. Vampire was my I blame thing, Gary. Right? Um, I blame Gary Oldman actually. Yeah, that, that would that would do it right. Yeah, probably part of why I watched the Harry Potter movies. Uh, and then they went and fucking killed him. But anyway, um, bastards. Yeah. So we're, we're not got, bitter. Not, not bitter. Not nothing. No, not not bitter. We're a little salty about it though. Actually, I I don't think if sex workers would work from home, uh, not in the world that I plotted anyway. Um, I wouldn't want to bring a job home. No. But he just decides he wants to show up later. Like, bitch, no, you don't have an appointment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think in order for people to separate their relationships from their work, especially when your work involves something very intimate, it would be actually very important to not have it happening at home. But anyway, um, so I do kind of, I kind of think it'd be entertaining to kind of come up with a vampire AU that would be, uh, but I, I mean, I, this is one of those things, like unlike other AUs I've considered, where I think that it would be fun, I have, where I have some kind of idea what I would write, I have like no idea what I would do with a vampire AU. But it just kind of teases at the back of my brain because I was so into vampire stories when I was in my late teens and, and into my early and mid twenties. So, uh, Jeep got us the link for the Joe Lawson story, which is called Jaws. And Joe Lawson also wrote another story. I think we're, um, there's a merman, there's a, there's a merman story. Uh, the, the merman story is, um, is that the devil in the deep blue sea? Between the devil and the deep blue sea. But if you go read Jaws and you enjoy it, you should definitely go and find the link to Joe Lawson's other Hawaii Five O AU. See that right there? That kind of ruined me. I mean that that hit me right in the puberty. <laughs> Gary Oldman playing um Dracula. Yeah. I was like, I'm in. You're like I'm in. Why Why did you want to be that other guy? I'm trying to figure this out, Mina. My ovaries clenched. I was like, fuck him. Fuck Keanu Reeves. Who needs that? <laughs> <laughs> What's your problem? <laughs> okay, it's the other. The merman one is devil between the devil and the deep blue sea. So just go find Joe Lawson. You can't go wrong with Joe Lawson's writing anyway. So just... Actually, you're, you're 100% right. I really enjoy Joe Lawson's Hawaii Five-O stuff. I'm not sure if they write in any other fandom, but I've not read it. I've just read the Hawaii Five-O. Excellent. Joe Lawson used to do a lot of uh, Magnificent Seven, but I don't know that any of the Magnificent Seven is on the AO3. I think if you want to read Joe Lawson's Mag 7 stuff, I could be wrong. Things could have changed. I think you would need to go to the the uh, Black Raptor site to read it. Okay, yeah. Uh, Twice says that it's not it, that Joe's uh, Magnificent Seven stuff is not on um, Ao3. You have to go. You have to go to Black Raptor to read the Magnificent Seven stories. And I think. Are those I set wanna, in the ATF or in the in the in the original Western? I want to say that Joe Lawson, the one I remember, and I could be like conflating author with story here. I want to say the one that I remember of Joe Lawson's was a shifter AU. It awesome. was not. It was not the ATF AU. I think it was a shifter AU, but I think it was set in the old West. Very so, cool. But but Joe but, Lawson's an excellent writer. Somebody will let me know. Somebody will let me know if I've got that completely jacked up about. 
Um, author listing. Let me see if Joe Lawson's on this list because they have an adult side of the thing. Um, so no, Joe's not on this list. Joe's on probably on the adult side. I'd also like to go back and explore the the soul marks, the the soulmate mark trope again. Mm -hmm. Oh, that would be. I was my that was like my most disappointing rough trade ever was the soulmate AU one. Uh, mine, I did mine and set in the Avengers, um, like immediately following the Avengers movie, and I just never finished it. Um, I kind of my plot it just it didn't feel. It felt. It didn't feel true. There was not. There was a. Uh, it just didn't feel true. So I mean, I, I can't explain it any better than that. It's just that's what it is. It just didn't feel. Um, I mean, I remember reading that. Um, I remember reading that, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I remember really enjoying it. I remember really enjoying it. So I, I remember that. It was a Tony-Steve pairing. And it could be the uh, just because, like, you know, Winter Soldier happened and then all that stuff happened and I just couldn't, I just couldn't get there, you know? Um, so I don't know. I am aboard that Take Back Marvel train, so... Um, I uh, but there's something about it. it just, and I got all the way past the sex scene, and the sex is hot. I mean, no, I wrote some banging sex for that. Um, not that I write by you know, I tend to write really good sex, and so I always know that when I, when I hit a sex scene, if it gets really awkward, um, that I've that I've fucked up somewhere, that I've made a mistake, because if sex is awkward for me to write. Then, then, then I've got a big problem in my narrative somewhere. Something has happened. And that's one reason why there isn't a sex scene in Courting Hermione Granger is because when I started to write that sex scene, it was just, the whole tone was off. Everything was off about it. And it was probably the worst sex scene I've ever written. And I was like, that is terrible. I wrote better sex at 14 before I ever saw a real penis. <laughs> I don't even <laughs> what the fuck just happened. So that's why there's no sex scene according to Hermione Granger. <laughs> I just decided it didn't fit. It didn't fit. There was something about the story. It just didn't fit the um the narrative. The sex didn't fit. So But I would like to go back and write a soulmate AU. The soul yeah. marks and you know, yeah. I think one of the reasons why I really enjoy bonding fix in the Sentinel is that um, that connection and that and, and that moment when 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 they meet their other half and there's like that have that oh, there you are moment. I've been looking for you. Yeah. I love that moment. 
I sometimes I really like soulmate stories. Um, I, there's something also very alluring about soulmate stories where they don't get their mark till they meet. Um, but whether they have the mark all along or whether they have the, there's some, there's some interpretations of the soulmate trope that give me the heebie-jeebies. Um, like the last words your soulmate ever says to you or the way. Oh you God, I only read one of those and it was a, I was like, no, no, mm -mm. it was a Hobbit one. And on Thorin's arm were written the words, the eagles are coming. Ugh. And I was like, fuck you, author, fuck you. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> How dare you do this to me? <laughs> I mean, I, th I think if I knew, I, if I wouldn't, I actually wouldn't read again another AU where it was the last words your soulmate speaks to you are on your arm. Um, Oh, he took it down. Okay. So I couldn't find the Joe Lawson stories. I had to go to the adult side and the gen side of the um, Black Raptor. I didn't see but a couple stories and apparently twice telling me that there was a there was a series that he took down so that they took down. So I would be really creeped out about having the words or the symbol of my enemy on my body. I, f I find that that's pretty horrific, actually. I don't well, there was, I, I did read a story um, that uh, had, where, where they had, you have your enemy, but you don't know which, in this one, they didn't know which was which, where it was the enemy on one, on one arm. Some people just got one enemy or soulmate. You didn't know which it was. And some people got both enemy and soulmate, but you didn't know which was which. And... Um, one of the, it, I think it's, I recall this was a Tony Stark story, and one of the ones on his arm was Steve Rogers. And so he just assumed after meeting Steve that his enemy was the other guy, and it was Steve. He finds out ultimately that Steve is his enemy after the events of Civil War. And uh, the other guy is his soulmate. So um, I find that to be a little bit, I, I, that might be it. It might have been Peter Quill. Yeah. Um, was his soulmate, and it was, and I think that they came and rescued him because he was dying, and Peter felt his soul mark burning or something. As soon as somebody said Quill, it started to register in my brain. I mean, it was an interesting story, an interesting premise. But I had actually, I think it's the first time I had read one where you had enemy and soulmate, and I was, I, I was like, oh, okay. So then Tony um, has to walk around with the man, the name of the man who tried to kill him on his arm. That's gross, yeah. right? So it, some of the some some of the soulmate tropes are a little bit they're like oh they don't work they're, they're a little hard for me to deal with, but I do find it to be a fascinating concept. Um, but so the soulmate challenge was the one where I got had the head injury and I I don't even remember the challenge anymore. <laughs> it's like I knew I wrote shit that month, but it's like who knows what it was. Well, actually, I do know what it was. Challenge? You wrote. Um, I know. I know what it was. It was visionary, but I just don't yeah. remember. The, I don't remember the writing. The first time I read it, after you know, my head was like better. My, you know, my all the you know the swelling in my brain was gone. Yeah, I went through a big chunk of restorative swelling in my brain, but when I was better and I went back and reread it, I like none of this seems familiar. This is so weird. <laughs> Who wrote this? Um,
that might be it. I don't know. Um, there's not much I remember about it other than a couple of the, the basic tropes on it and how they, I remember the beginning. I don't even know if I actually finished it. So, cause I remember the beginning pretty vividly, but then I don't know that I remember anything else. So that might be it, but I'm not going to say, say the title of the story because I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, No, I don't think it is. Um, it's as the times I've read this this trope in a story, um, some people have it be that you the the enemy thing is equal, and sometimes one person's enemy is not the other person's. So Steve could be Tony's enemy, but Tony wouldn't be Steve's or whatever. Um, anyway, but you I know, find, I, I mean, honestly, I was Steve the, Rogers' biggest enemy is himself. Yes, it, yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, the, since I was doing Harry Potter, I had the whole soulmate, you know, for the either Book of Souls or Soul Orb. I think I did Soul Orb in that story, but I'm not, I don't really remember. Uh, so I do, I usually use magical means of doing, doing soulmate reveal in in a Harry Potter story. But I thought, I think like in a more mundane world, there's really something interesting about marks or, and I really like uh, the stories I've read where they get the mark when they meet. There's something really appealing about that. Uh, like you meet, yeah. you touch. Um, in mine, um, Steve and Tony, the, the, the moment they touched, their marks emerged. And Tony had gone around for months wearing gloves to avoid touching anyone because he didn't want a fucking soulmate. Of course he didn't. <laughs> I'm having none of that. None of those shenanigans. And Pepper had soulmated with Phil. Um, with, with Phil. So, and he was sleeping with them both. <laughs> because they were safe. That was the best lay he could have. They were each other's soulmates, so he was safe from being soulmated against his will. The color thing, the color trope in the in soulmate AU's makes me uncomfortable, um, which is where you're colorblind until you meet your soulmate. Um, I've only read that once in the Hobbit fandom, and it was Bilbo and Thorin. And when Thorin rejected him, Bilbo started losing his colors, but he didn't tell anybody. I don't think he even told anybody that he could see color afterwards. I think it was a Hobbit thing. Well, I, I've read it in a couple of fandoms. Well, actually, um, but every time I read it, I just think that it's not explored really well what it must be like to suddenly start seeing the world in color. And I don't even I don't think I've read the Hobbit one actually. But just the idea that you would go in a black and white world and that would be your norm. And there's to to suddenly see everything in color would be such a sensory assault that It'd be nauseating. And also yeah. you wouldn't know what anything is. You wouldn't yeah. know what red looked like or what blue looked like. Everybody's wearing deeply. I mean, how, how basically you've got people in the, it, it's just, it, it's, it, there's a the potential for a very ugly world dynamic, which is the only people who know what anything truly looks like are the people who have soulmates. Right. They could, be they could be trolling the fuck out of the rest of the planet. Right. Which is terrible know. and funny. Yeah. I'm that person. Yeah, you can laugh while they help you get up because it's because you fell over. 
You could be you could be the person. I mean, but th that's the case of where colors like to kids don't matter as much, right? But patterns would. And yeah. then you get your you get your colors, you start seeing colors and you realize that people are look terrible. It's like everything all children wear is awful. <laughs> they don't know any better. And don't care. But I just I just find it, it to me it just feels like a little bit uncomfortable because I guess it's because it's not so much the it's not even the sensory assault aspect, but the idea is that your life is so incomplete until your soulmate is there. And I just find that I just don't, I just don't particularly like that, 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 that general premise. I don't like the premise in soulmate stories typically that, you know, your life is kind of, everybody's just working to the, to that moment where they have a soulmate. Um, now I did plot a soulmate story. It was a little bit different. It was it was a soulmate AU, but it's a little bit different in the sense that soulmate did not mean the person, the one person destined for your soul. It, soulmate was the person you found who you were compatible with that you could form a soul bond with, and therefore they became your soulmate. And everybody had a mark, and compatibility was determined by the number of points in the mark. So. All, huh. If you if you had if you had a if you had three points on your on your mark you were compatible with anybody else who had a three pointed mark, if you had four points you're compatible with anybody who had a four point mark, and so compatibility was strictly determined based upon the shape of your mark, and you could form a soul bond with anybody within that group, and so people would you know you you date basically within that your that group with the idea that and the the I was thinking about it. Why, what would entice people into wanting to have a soulmate bond, right? Well, who would, what would, and that my thought was, is that whatever you're good at, the reason why people want it, why it's a coveted thing to do, it's sort of like marriage, but the next level. And the reason why people want to do it is because people who are soul bonded get kind of like a, uh, let's call it like a performance boost. Uh, like if you're talented, you're just that much more talented. Like if you're like a savant at, um, the piano, you are that much better. So the very best at everything are people who have soul bonds because you get a um, creative, intellectual, empathic, like everything about you is better when you're bonded to with somebody else, when you're sharing, like basically sharing life energy with somebody because you bolster each other. And so people seek this out. You can also increase the lifespan. Yeah. So I was thinking, yeah, and I did have that in the notes, like, you know, you've got longer lifespan, but that you reach the top of your field. And so people really want to have soul bonds. So there's like a lot of traditions around. Um, but so it wasn't soulmate, one word. It was like soulmate in the sense of the person that you mate your soul to. So as opposed to the one destined person. So but I, like cool. the, I like the idea of soul mark. So that's why I decided to do it based upon there's a basic soul compatibility thing. And it was determined based upon the number of the shape of your mark, basically. I want to write Rodney with having like the most points you could possibly have and then having his pool of potentials be really small. And he'd be really annoyed by it. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things I wrote is that if you have no points, you're, you're compatible to like an Enso. Like if your soul, if your soul mark, when it appears, it looks like an Enso, which is a slightly open circle that you're compatible to bond with anybody. And so that's really, and actually even compat, you, you even can conform soul bonds with people who don't have marks. Cause there's a few people who are, who never have a mark. They have, they have no mark at all. It's, it's rare, but it happens. People who have 
who have a, a circle, it's some form, some form of circle shape, so there's no points, um, can bond to anybody. And so that was kind of like the, the character that I was working on developing ha got this mark, this sort of Enso type mark. Um, so he could bond with anybody. He'd be very coveted. Yeah, so it was a mark kind of like, um, I guess if somebody doesn't know what an Enso is that, that might be calling it that probably wouldn't help. So I'll just paste one into the chat room. Like, like an almost complete horseshoe. Yeah, it's like a, yeah. It's pretty cool. I do think one of the things that's interesting about the soulmate trope is, in fan fiction, is, or the the genre, I, it probably has moved a little bit out of the trope into a full-on genre at this point. I think something, one thing that's interesting about it is it allows you to bridge the gap between characters that might be difficult to get together otherwise. Um, you have the same thing that happens in the Sentinel. Um, Sentinel Sentinel's good for that as well, because when you have people who are destined to be together, there's all of that difficulty of, are we right for each other? It, you kind of skip a lot of hurdles that might be difficult to, to overcome in a traditional romance with certain characters. Like some characters, it's really easy to get them into a romantic situation. And other characters, like if you want to explore some of the, like some challenging pairings, Soulmate or Sentinel Guide can be a way to kind of bridge those difficulties. I think that a trope can kind of shift into a, a genre when it has no limits, no boundaries. It can be anywhere. When when it can when you can stick it in any fandom without any sort of stumble that it starts to transcend into a genre. Like a soulmate AU does. I mean, but then there you, you look at like, um, I, and BDSM does. Uh, but if you look at something like the Sentinel, as much as it is the little black dress, there are certain fandoms where it is problematic. We had a big discussion about the Harry Potter thing and the big secret and how it's impossible to keep a big secret from a Sentinel's unknown universe. So when you mix, um, Something like Stargate or um, the Team Wolf werewolves that are in hiding or Supernatural or Harry Potter. That they all have this big secret. When you put the Sentinel and Guide, Guides are known trope on top of it. You can create serious issues. And I created one that I did not recognize until I was in the middle of a podcast talking about a story that I'd already written. Wherein if Sentinels and Guides are known and they are prevalent how in the hell did harry potter grow up in a cupboard right but the thing is i do think you can the thing is you can and can't stay intact but you have the same issue with soulmate so um 
when you're applying it to, I do think to me, I, for me, Sentinels and Guides are known. AU is edging really close to a genre. Um, it's, it's getting there. But just like other genres that change the world, the fundamental world building rules, it is, it's kind of a niche genre. You, you can't just necessarily apply it anywhere and have canon stay intact. So like a soulmate AU, you can kind of keep canon intact in many respects in most fandoms, but certainly not all of them. Um, because your, your world is fundamentally altered, right? So like, if we come back to that whole thing about homophobia, right? That we talked about with Sentinels and Guides, uh, the same thing applies to soulmates. If 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 some fairly large percentage of people have always had same-sex soulmates, you wouldn't have had the rise of homophobia, right? So it wouldn't make sense. That changes. I mean, there are big pockets, maybe, of you know, very religious people trying to reject the whole soulmate thing. Um, right. But even but if you think about it, today's religions are built on the writings of of other people, ancient people. Um, and if these people were dealing with the same concepts that we are today, when it comes to like, if say if we had soulmates, um, that those would those would be natural circumstances that they're dealing with. So you, they would be they would have you would have male, you would have soulmate pairs in the Bible for instance, um, that were men and it would be considered commonplace in, the, in, in, in most religions because those texts would have been created in that context. Is that, is that sacrilegious? Probably. I don't care. So, so people probably um, would think it is, but I don't. I think it's just, you know. It's, it's just what it is. It's just that, that that's how those books were created. Um, and you look at um, the ABO trope, uh, <laughs> There's every reason to believe that in an ABO society that there would those dynamics would appear in their religious texts, including the Bible. I mean, right. there's every reason to believe that that Mary might have been the Omega, <laughs> so, and not Mary, but Martin. <laughs> you know, it's just you know, and because of that, you don't have in the, the when you when you throw when you do that kind of when you're exploring that kind of genre or you're putting that kind of trope in, you don't, by, by definition, have evolved differently. So you wouldn't have... Uh, Are you dropping again? Yeah, I think I'm... Am I disconnected? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Well, that's weird, because it says I'm disconnected. I'm just not going to believe it. Um, you want to cut off and cut back on? Yeah. So, but uh, okay. You would. Oh, sorry. Um, so ahead. it would. It would be um, when I like when I read stories where you've got a soulmate AU or a sentinel guide AU, where um, there have always been, especially sentinel guide AU, where there's a, a a large amount of sentinels. Not a tiny amount, but a large amount of sentinels. And there always have been. And a certain percentage of them have always been same-sex pairings. And then I'm reading about Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I'm like, your military dynamics would be completely different 
in a in a in a society where your where your your chief warriors are sentinels and some large percentage of them are in same sex pairings, and you think don't and I just understand how don't ask don't tell survives, and is a is a military construct that they have to work around. Um, in Sentinels of Atlantis, I had it not apply to Sentinels and Guides, but Sentinels and Guides haven't been known since the cave either. Right. So, but you had different circumstances where you explain why. But you need to explain it. Yeah, you, you have need to. to dig deep. If you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna keep that kind of stuff intact, you have to. I mean, I've read stories where you have like Sentinels and Guides, and there had always been Sentinels and Guides. And there were like exceptions for Sentinels and Guides, but there had always been Sentinels and Guides, and yet there was still rampant homophobia. I'm like, I don't understand how that, that logic. There have always been Sentinels and Guides. They've always been in great numbers. They've always had positions of power in society. This is, this is what I'm reading in the story, right? It's all basically spelled out. There have always been, in this case, there was a huge percentage, 70%. Same sex, 70, 80% same sex, because most sentinels and most guides in this story were men. So huge percentage of them are same sex pairings, and yet rampant homophobia and don't ask, don't tell. But you know what like, it says about the writer and about society in general that they assume that even with that history, that people would be would be fucked up assholes. And they're not wrong. Well, but I think they'd be fucked up in a different way. Yeah. People, but people, I don't it, think that even if I mean, if even if soulmates and he, whatever in the past, and I still think that homophobia would be a problem. Um, just like I, I think racism would be a problem in a soulmate AU. Um, I think actually, assholes. actually, I actually think racism would be a bigger problem and homophobia less of a problem because I think what happens is when something is normalized for a large group of people, they have to channel their energy into hating something else. So all the hatred society expends at gay people would get directed elsewhere. And the, and the, and the matter of then is figuring out where, you know, um, but I don't know that in a soulmate society where some large percentage of them were going to have male soulmates, you know, I, I could, I could see, like you said, I could see pockets of religion cropping up that would um, you know, re reject the soulmate concept. It's against God's will, right? It's but in devil. general, <laughs> I think most people would kind of poo-poo that kind of thing, like, "Oh, come on!" And there would be more, you know, religions who did. There'd be still be religion, but there would be religions that didn't teach those kinds of things because, you know, for all you knew, the priest was going to have a male soulmate. So, I just don't think that. I, I, to me, it kind of rings it, it without something that explains how that all of this, uh, how the world looks exactly the same, exactly the same, the exact same religions, the exact same biases, the exact same wars being fought. And yet soulmates have always existed. And 20% of them are same sex. I don't understand how that happens. So that doesn't make sense, though. So you need to, yeah, you need to explain yourself. But I do think that people are just generally terrible. Yes, but I just think they would focus their terribleness elsewhere. Although you could take it as an opportunity not to have people be terrible. But if you, you want could. to explore realism, figure out who they're going to hate since they're not hating on the gays. But, you know, that's the thing. Um, who said it? It was, it was a Republican. He said, if you give a poor man somebody else to look down on, they will. So if you give somebody 
in bad circumstances, somebody else who's in worse circumstances to blame for their problems, whatever they may be, they will. Because that's human nature, because we're terrible. And so you get this pocket of, of Puritans who decide that they will not allow um, same-sex soulmates. And um, they have, you know, you create, you create a whole society where male soulmates have to, I mean, gay soulmate pairs have to hide it because they're afraid of being persecuted or prosecuted or stoned to death or whatever, you know, depending on the time period. It'd be terrible. But the other side of it is, is, oh, well, you can't be his soulmate because he's not white. But, you know, I, I'm kind of tainted because I am um, the white half of a multicultural couple living in the American South. Um, and there isn't a day that I go out on my husband that I don't get a look from somebody. Or we'll walk past somebody in the store and some woman will snatch up her purse like my husband might take it. Like, bitch, really? Oh, geez. he doesn't need your knockoff purse. So, you know, my perspective is a little different on how terrible people are. And, you know, you have a different perspective because you're a lesbian and you have um, these experiences that I can't relate to because I'm super heteronormative. Um, straight, but not narrow. That's true. And also, um, I watched a video on YouTube Demi Lovato was hot, and I did. I didn't even know. I had no idea she was hot. I was like, "Look at her! When she get hot?" <laughs> I must have missed that video because I don't see it. Anyway, she was singing some song with Jonas, um, one of the Jonas Brothers. Um, close. It was a concert video. She was hot. I was like, "Well, look at her being hot." Um, so, but yeah, well, you know. And I mean, I live in a state. Uh, well, I have, I have, you, you know, in most of the American, Southern American states, when I got married, um, there were still laws on the books that weren't enforceable that made interracial marriage illegal. They were unconstitutional and they weren't enforced, but they still existed. In fact, it was like ten, like five or six years after I got married that the laws started to be removed from the books. Yeah, those old blue laws that and that still say things like you know, anal sex or is illegal or and stuff like that. That's just yeah, and like like you you get charged with sodomy and and speaking up, it, sodomy is actually any position, any sexual position or act that's not the missionary position is considered sodomy. In some in some southern states, yeah, I can't buy dildos, but I can buy novelty items at the adult store. Yeah, novelty. they can't be listed as sex toys; they have to be listed as novelties. Because I don't know what you're going to do with that penis-shaped thing, but it's not for sex. <laughs> we use it as a lawn ornament. <laughs> it's a lawn ornament. <laughs> Okay. Um, anyway, so 
yeah so i if i'm gonna if i'm gonna i will say though if i'm gonna invest because to me yeah people are ugly and so i recognize people are going to the reality is people are going to find a way to do super shitty things um that i am usually if i'm going to be doing a bunch of world building for something that that potentially allows me to take ugliness out of my world i'm going to take advantage of it well i because... didn't ties that bind i removed all of that <laughs> yeah so I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna leverage that um, if at all <laughs> dildo gun <laughs> if, if at all possible. Um, so that you know, so if I were writing a soulmate AU, there wouldn't be any homophobia. It just wouldn't exist. And I, I, probably, I I took it completely out of um, ties that bind. There's no phobia, homophobia. Yeah, and I probably also would take you know just try to make society a little bit nicer. Um, in general, and not try to plot the, which direction the hatred would have turned without, without you know, people to execute gays throughout history. Um, just because I'm not, I'm not really, I'm not an angst writer. I, I will have points of angst, but I'm not an angst writer. So putting in yeah, a bunch I need of to wallow in misery. Yeah, putting a bunch of angst in just isn't isn't making me happy. Uh, But I think something I want to go back to kind of the question about wanting something to go from a trope to a genre is if what you're writing could be take any major genre basically, and if you could do what you're talking about as a subgenre of that, um, then I think it it kind of qualifies as a genre. So you could do a, you know could you do a mystery where your characters are soulmates? Yes, then I would. That's sort of like a subgenre. So you, you'd have like mystery as a top genre, and then underneath that you might have you know, romance, soulmates, whatever. If it, if it qualifies as like, it's, I don't think it's a parent genre. It's got to be tacked on to something else, but it, it definitely is in that subgenre kind of realm already. For urban fantasy, subgenre of soulmate. Okay. Science fiction, subgenre of soulmate. Pick a major genre. Could you have a subgenre of soulmate? If you could, then I think that you're you're there. So... That's to me definitely soulmate. Now, Sentinel Guide is very fandom specific, but I don't think soulmate is at all fandom specific. So to me, it's like transcended trope at this point. I agree. Um, what other kind of AUs? We talked about Shifter. Um, well, I have the. Uh, it's pink, too. It's pink. Anyway, um, I can't even look at that psychedelic dildo gun. Um, <laughs> I don't think no should... one can take a dildo gun seriously. Any dildo gun, much less that dildo gun. I mean, so. But in in the case of like some some I well, I'd have the medium AU that I did the the sort of you know talking to ghosts the uh, psychic yeah well I, the psychic one different I because that I psychic I didn't have the psychic thing was all about um, like there was no precognition and intuitive there was no no actual mediums there was no talking to the dead it was all things like um, empathy telepathy. Um, clairvoyance and clairvoyance meaning seeing things that are happening somewhere else, not seeing things in the future, seeing things in the future is precognition. I did not have that in. So it's sort of like what it was about was like connecting to the energy 
of the brain. So it was trying to like root it in science as opposed to root it in mysticism. But mm-hmm. then I did the other one, um, the descendant, which was more rooted in actual like ghost lore, which was talking to the dead. Um, so that was the medium AU. Uh, and that's the one it, I had had two, uh, that was the urban fantasy challenge. And I had two other ideas that I thought were better, but that I had wanted to kind of explore for original work. So I didn't use them. And then I got about partway through that challenge and really was hating myself because I was digging it so much. I'm like, why am I writing this for fan fiction? I just had that moment with it. Well, I'm like, there's no reason this needs to be fan fiction. And I really love the world building. But then I was like, I'm like, I'm already in it though. So what do I do now? So, yeah. Um, so in terms of, um, I'm trying to think of magical realism would be a fun AU to do. What realism? Magical realism. Like, you know, magic real setting as opposed to magic fantasy setting. Oh, okay. It just wasn't. I, I, I was getting a. I mean, you were dropping, so all I was getting was realism every time. Oh, magic realism. So, kind of take the modern world, and I mean, I think, I think, uh, what's his face would be magical realism. Why am I blanking on his name? Harry Dresden. Dresden. Yes, I think Dresden would be. But I found I found Dresden was so limited. I mean, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to do that whole technology limitation thing. That kind of gave me hives. Oh, yeah, it I would don't... be. I think magic realism would be a fun AU to explore. Um. Well. But bright on Netflix wouldn't be magical realism, would it? Or would that be something else? Is that more like urban fantasy? I haven't. I don't know what that is. It's that Will Smith movie where he gets an orc for a partner. And they have to fight over a magic wand. Well, they have to fight basically half the city's underworld to keep a wand out of um, the hands of somebody. I, I haven't watched it either. Okay. Reaper saying that that's urban fantasy. Okay. I well, believe you. But if there's magic involved, the point of magic realism is that magical realism is that um, is that it se- it takes place in in a contemporary setting, right? Um, Yes, yes. Carl Urban is the perfect urban fantasy. Okay, so TV Trope says this. This is, if, rule of thumb, say there are vampires in New York. If the existence of vampires doesn't shock anyone, but the fact that they're vampires is constantly being pointed out, it's urban fantasy. If a cop's partner is a very pale, very strong, generally acts odd and comes to think of it, he's never been seen in daylight, but the story focuses primarily on just the police procedural or the interpersonal relationships, it's maybe magic, maybe mundane. 
if the cop just goes through his life as a cop, but his partner is a vampire who has whose ID has vampire printed right next to his eye color, who's greeted by cheerful children in the street who are more fascinated by his shiny badge than his teeth and who casually drinks blood in plain sight out of transfusion packs during coffee breaks, it's a case of magic realism. Huh. So I don't know, since I don't know that so show. I would say a magic realism is more like a complete fusion. Yeah, it's where the magic is magic is just part of the world. Um, it's it's overlaid and, and all of those things are um magic isn't yeah, a secret. Yeah, there's no secret, there's no hiding, there's no it, it's it's just the contemporary world, magic is part of it. Yeah, exactly. It does take the magic out of it. Except there'd be no Hogwarts, right? I think there would have to be magical schools. True, but there wouldn't be like a Harry Potter type thing. Now that that, that could be funny. There could be Harry Potter because it would because people would be entertained by the idea of places of like a fictional world where magic was hidden. <laughs> so they give me. But wouldn't that be more likely to write a, about a world with no magic? Wouldn't that be the exotic? Because stories about magic are, are exotic to us because we don't have magic. But if you're surrounded by magic every day, um, it wouldn't be interesting. Yeah. It wouldn't be interesting. It'd be platform 10. <laughs> yeah. But I think that their their fiction would be like I don't know our science fiction, our contemporary would be. Like, I don't want to read about magic. I see magic every fucking day. I, I I live next door to a fairy. Tell me a story about some cop trying to use like technology <laughs> to solve a crime. <laughs> there's no wand. There's no. There's no. There's no magic mirror. They traveled to space in an actual spaceship. I feel like stabbing TV tropes because the examples of magic realism, they give examples of like one episode from a TV show that explores the concept of magic realism. I'm like, but that's not a, that's not a TV show about magic realism. Just because you can give me one episode of NCIS that has magic realism in it. I'm like, no, that doesn't mean that that fit, meets the bar. Well, for me, I think, wouldn't it be like if um, in Grimm, the Vessen didn't hide? Yeah, if they didn't and it was just part of life and they, you know, they went around. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can find something in the books. So they say much of Ray Bradbury's books, while normally shelved as fantasy, science fiction, or horror, could be accurately described as magic realism in tone and content. Um...
Well, again, they're 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 giving examples of something small in a. It's like nobody blinked about something in a certain, you know, that therefore because nobody reacted to it, it's magic realism. But I don't think that that meets the bar. It doesn't qualify, but this discussion does remind me of that um, that really awesome crossover between Stargate and Star Trek, where John and Rodney end up on the Enterprise with Kirk and Spock, and it's called "Where All the Phys Where's All the Physics Gone," and Rodney just doesn't get their science at all <laughs> because their science makes no sense, and he's furious. <laughs> How have I not read this? <laughs> Did and you John's read... trying to get uh, one of them's trying to get um, Kirk and Spock together. They're like, they should totally be doing it. <laughs> if they're not doing it, they should be doing it. <laughs> did you? Did you? It's read called the... "Where's All the Physics Gone." I'm gonna look it up. I read the one where they inadvertently, through some dimension hopping thing, wind up in Smallville. Meeting Clark Kent and Lex Luthor. Basically, Clark's a teenager, but Lex is not. Um, and they're like, whoa, it's Superman, Lex Luthor. Because <laughs> to them, these are comic book guys, right? And and they're like, uh, and they like didn't even know what to do with it. That was pretty entertaining. Willow's got it. Willow found it. Actually, so did Queenie. Pick people, ninjas. People, lots of people went and found it for us. Uh, called yeah. Where Did All the Physics Go by Amaril. That's the way I would pronounce that. And it is on um, AO3, and I highly recommend it. Rodney's frustration is, it practically vibrates off the page. <laughs> it's great. Uh, the, I don't remember the name of the one that I'm talking about. It's by Lady Raw. Okay, it's called Gene Therapy. Um, and it's it's where the they do some weird dimension accident and they wind up in Smallville with the superheroes. So that that is it. That Willow, Willow found it. It is the one by Lady Raw. Pick Ninja to the rescue. One of my favorite Smallville um stories and I have not read a lot of them is the one where um Lex accidentally becomes a superhero and something to do with the iPhone or the iPad I hero yes I hero it is great <laughs> all right someone find me a link I don't read much smallville but I do read occasionally on recommendation and speaking of I've always wanted to, well I I've wanted to do like I thought I've always thought it'd be fun to do a superhero AU, but another AU I've always wanted to do was um, a a fairy tale reinterpretation in modern times kind of thing. Fairy tales, I'd love fairy to tale. do some fairy tales. I'd love to do a, a fairy tale AU. That would be so much fun. Um, you know, I think that's one reason why I really enjoyed Grimm so much is they explored fairy tales. And I, just, I, I really enjoyed it when it first started coming on, but then I had to let it go because they did something I couldn't, I, I couldn't get past. Yeah. Willow and Margaret both found it. It's called I Hero by I I B N or I N <laughs> I I B N F. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> It's on it's on archive of our own. It's I hero one word. Um 
It's fantastic. I got a really awesome one where John is a reporter um, and Rodney is Iron Man. And uh, Iron Man keeps saving John and he's like... <laughs> doesn't know what well, to do with it. You wouldn't keep saving me if you didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and he and McKay finally invites him to you know get an interview or something, or maybe they met at the interview. I, I read it like a decade ago, but it was really fun. It's it's not often that I enjoy reading my characters that divorced from their canon setting, but every once in a while, it's it's entertaining. And like sometimes it, it's just really well. It's done. like a cupcake. Yeah, but usually, usually it's not something I seek out. So a lot of times, these things that have existed forever, I haven't read because I only read that kind of thing on recommendation. Please don't send me a bunch of bunch of recommendations; I won't be able to deal with it. But uh, I do read. But typically, that kind of stuff where people are in a completely alternate setting, where like Harry's running a cafe instead of going to Hogwarts, it it typically isn't my typical thing that I seek out in fan fiction. So that's why I've, even though I know a lot of these AUs exist, I, uh, until I hear from somebody that I trust their, their taste, I don't read them. One of my favorite, um, completely divorced from canon circumstances, but not quite is, um, fair trade by Estevi, um, where John has been, um, um, dis disabled out of the air force and Rodney has been, um, Rodney did something um, on the level of um, uh, the whole ice storm episode. You know, he almost destroyed the planet. And so he's kind of been relegated to this, um, this science museum. And he keeps coming into John's um, coffee shop. And he's being an asshole. Um, it's called Fair Trade. And uh, it is gorgeous absolutely gorgeous the only other au in stargates that i'm really really deeply enamored with beyond fair trade would be a farm in iowa and if you've not read a farm in iowa you're not a mcchep fan <laughs> yeah i see i would call those pre-series canon divergent yeah um, yeah yeah in a they way. both have elements of stargate in them they're just really obscure and right, now so like farm in iowa is a little less obscure as you go on if the character's backstory is the same as it was in canon, um, I don't usually hesitate to read those kinds of things. It's like something has happened and set them on a different path, right? It's when they're completely divorced from anything relating to canon. Like, you know, they grew up on the, uh, the only, like the, the, one of the, I always use this example. Um, and, and sometimes I read these things because it's uh, who the author is. And that was the case of um, Fate Protects Fools, Small Children, Ships Named Valor by Sunrider. It's because I had read other things by the, by the author that I've read The Oak and the Ash and a few other stories. Oh, by I love The I, Oak and the Ash. Oh my that God. I really liked. And so I was really intrigued by this, you know, fusion, the Star Trek fusion with NCIS. I was like, that sounds ridiculous, but it's, it, you know, <laughs> I gotta read it. I'm, I'm going to try. <laughs> no, I would highly thing. recommend that everybody read Fair Trade. It is um, one of my favorite AUs. Uh, it is actually, because, because Taylor and Ronan are in it in a different circumstance. They're not aliens from another world. So it is more AU-ish than, but there is an element of um, Stargate lingering in the background that John's not fully aware of. Um, because of his position in life, he's not in a position to know about top secret things. Um, That's fair trade you're talking about. Or are you talking yeah, about fair trade. Yeah, fair trade. Yeah, okay. and um, Rodney does, I think, does end up doing a little bit of work for um, 
first um, Sam Carter at some point, and that's called Fair Trade by Estefi. Uh, I've, I haven't read the Nantucket AU in forever, and now I have to click on it because I haven't read it in forever. I'm going to save it in my tabs. Um, looking at drastically different AUs from Stargate Canon, um, Estefi uh, wrote that one, and then, um, like I said, a, a Farm in Iowa by. I never can say her name. Why she got to do that to me? A farm in That's Iowa it. by A E S C and S H E A F R O T H E R D O N. Shay Frothodon. Girl, why don't you just name yourself Velociraptor and get it over with? <laughs> I see. I can't tell if that's she uh or Shay. I'm like, I'm not sure which way to start the pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really Shay. She she. We're gonna go with Shay. Shay, I love your work. I'm sorry, I can't pronounce your name. <laughs> Shay for the dawn. Shay for the dawn. I'm beginning That's to guess no. some kind of pun, like 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 some kind of pun that we don't get. It's not spelled for; it's spelled fro. It's more like froth. Yeah. So yeah, but it's fantastic. Read Fair Trade and read um an Iowa. It looks like farm it looks in like Iowa. Shay Frotherden, but I don't have any idea how that's Shay Frotherden. Shay Frotherden. And ASIC. Shay Froth Dawn. ASIC. See, we don't we don't know where to put the syllables. This is the problem. Because my first thought was like A escape. Like she's escaping. Like the escape key. But then I was like. I just assume that's multiple authors. Yeah, I'm just gonna call you guys Mary and Bob. <laughs> no, not Bob, sorry. Not Bob. <laughs> not not Bob. Serious. Mary and Joe. Dog eared. <laughs> Eight. Bob is reserved. <laughs> Bob has special purpose in life. Bob and Dick. Are um, but yeah, a, a farm in Iowa will make you laugh. It will make you cry. Um, and there's one story that you absolutely cannot read if you have to pee before you get to Baby Jesus Christmas. You absolutely have to go pee because you, if you don't, you're going to have an accident. Because okay. that is the funniest shit I've ever read in my life. If you've not, baby Jesus and the pom poms, I you can't, can't. What's the best part about that? There's actually a podcast of that, and a person that person got through that without laughing their ass off. You don't know that. They they probably had to stop every five seconds and laugh their ass off, and then start recording again. Yeah, because if you you just most podcasts are put together in pieces, so. You know, and if it's done well, if they've got good recording equipment and good editing equipment, you don't know how many times they had to get, how many takes they took on a single sentence. I mean, you just say it over and over again until you're numb. <laughs> until you're numb to it, you just can't even. But yeah, A Farm in Iowa is fantastic. Baby Jesus and the pom-poms. Fantastic. Uh, I don't think we did. We got the link to the Nantucket series. But I don't think we got the link to a farm in Iowa, did we? Yeah, it's up at the top. Oh, 
they're all on AO3. That they should be pretty easy to find. So there's a um, farm in Iowa. Okay. There's another one that I was trying to put my brain on, and I, I can't think of it. Oh, there is these. There is this series of stories, and it starts with you know Rodney's a writer, and John is in Antarctica, and he finds a book that that Rodney wrote, and Laura Cadman is Rodney's manager, I think. It could be Elizabeth. I'm pretty sure it's Laura Cadman. Uh, and John is in the Air Force, and after Antarctica, he leaves the Air Force. There's no sitting in a chair thing. None of that happens. And he ends up coming back to San Diego or San Francisco, wherever Rodney is, is living. And um, they, they bump in together, in, into each other. And or uh, there's a signing or something. And he finds out that that's Rodney. You know, this guy wrote his favorite book, the book he found in Antarctica that kind of kept him from going crazy when he was down there. And they have a sweet little romance and fall in love. And John's volunteering at a, at a youth center. and um, some crazy ass stalker fan tries to kill Rodney and John gets to be a badass. It's it's great. Stargate has a lot of really good AUs in it. Um I wouldn't say that I don't think that NCIS actually has a lot. So this one is one of the I mean, I read a lot in NCIS for years and I just did not encounter there are a few, but there's not um, a lot of really good AUs. The only AU that I found remotely interesting in NCIS was the Sunnybrook Farm one. Is it Sunnybrook or Funny Sunnybrook? Kelly, Kelly Brook Farms. Kelly Brook Farm. Um, uh, Gibbs has a horse farm and Tony is um, a senator or um, a congressman and he gets kidnapped and he, he escapes his, his kidnappedness and he ends up on Gibbs' front porch and Gibbs takes care of him. I haven't read. I mean, I've scrolled past it a few times, but I've never read it. Um, of course, there's McCavity, um, which is by by Lady Raw, and you can't go wrong with Lady Raw. That's canon divergent, though. Yeah. Um. But in terms of just like yeah, not an AU, but still a lot of fun. Definitely, definitely. Any read, read anything that Lady Raw's written, especially in, all of her NCIS and Sentinel stuff, See, is all really good. The thing about the NCIS fandom um, is that, um, relatively speaking, they're quite small, and it's just really stunning considering how big um, their canon is um, and continues to be. Um, but more importantly, um, we talked last night about homophobia. I think that um, one of the reasons why the NCIS fandom stagnates and why a lot of the writing in it is immature and you don't get a lot of create you don't get a lot of creative concepts in NCIS is because of that homophobia. They drive out the really creative people. Mm -hmm. And then they get stuck with the same stories over and over and over again because they've driven out the people who 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 spark creativity and honestly the most creative I ever am is when I'm surrounded by other writers who are being creative and so when you isolate yourself and you like the NCIS fandom has done um and they drive out all the really creative people who don't fit the mold that they have that, that they want their their writers to fit then that's what happens. That that's what you get. You get a fandom full of really immature writers. And so that it has and well, I mean, fandom 
if you go to where the homophobia lives, um, and I'm, I'm not saying all writers on all the NCIS writers on fanfiction.net are homophobic, but that is where the biggest collection of NCIS stories are. And it's where the worst behavior existed. So there are still some, you know, people who are hanging in over there. They haven't made the switch to either their own place or to AO3, but they still get he abuse heaped on them. So it's just, it's just really. Would we do an NCIS themed um, RT challenge? Um, no. I would not. Um, and it's not because of the homophobia thing, although that's actually a very good reason not to. Um, the main reason is, is that uh, the the reason I picked Harry Potter is because Harry Potter, outside of the MCU, and probably Teen Wolf, is the biggest fandom on Rough Trade. We actually did a... I counted. And at the time of picking that particular challenge, um... More, there were more Harry Potter writers on Rough Trade than there were any others. But when it comes to something like NCIS, um, I wouldn't structure a challenge around NCIS because that would throw a lot of other writers off the challenge completely. But Harry Potter actually remains one of our biggest challenges to date um, as far as signups go. And I knew it would be because it's um, very popular on RT. Practically everybody who's who who writes on RT has written Harry Potter at one time or another. <laughs> at least at the time. At the time, I mean, it, the population changes, you know. But um, well, for, I've, I've never written. I've I've never written in Harry Potter outside of Rough Trade, though. So there's right. a little bit of a false equivalency there in the sense that. Some people have only written Harry Potter for the sake of writing in a Rough Trade Challenge, which doesn't make them Harry Potter writers. But you wrote Harry Potter when we didn't have to write Harry Potter. I don't think so. Well, I mean, for the, the yeah, for, for yeah. Oliamoto, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, you've written three Harry Potter stories on um, Rough Trade, right? Or Slytherin Black. Liamoto. Uh, vi visionary and restoration restoration and we only had one harry potter challenge and so you wrote slytherin black before we had the harry potter challenge right? i wrote slytherin black for um Time uh, travel. Re restoration restoration was for harry potter though it was for boot camp when the two phantoms were stargate and harry potter mm -hmm. so if i if it hadn't been for that signing up for that challenge i probably would never have written harry potter uh, <laughs> because i had no interest in writing in harry potter <laughs> The, um, okay, so, when did you write? Slytherin Black was for the um, single point of view challenge. Which Aliyah was Moto in November 2015, and we had 59 signups. Uh, I think if we did single point of view again, we'd get five. <laughs> <laughs> and I would not be one of those five. Oh my god, it almost killed me. Um, and, and in April of that year, we did second chances. Um, uh, well, Letty Holder loved it. Um, and we had 84 signups. Second chances um, was when I did, um, that was when I did, uh, <laughs> if found was second chances for me. Oh, I think you're welcome. Fandom. And then um, we, we did the Harry Potter fandom thing in April of 2018. Um, magic. Had, call it magic. And we had 81 signups. Um, 
And the only other challenge on the site that compares to that is the Second Chances Challenge in um, 2016, which is a fix it, you know, a chance to fix it. And then we did, um, in 2015, we had our little black dress with, with the three stories, and that was 81 signups. Um, but if I do a search for NCIS in my but challenge database... No, NCIS is a, is a fairly smart. I think you see Tony in a lot of stories, but the primary fandom winds up being something else. So it's like people have taken the fandom bicycle and put him elsewhere. But okay, if you even NCIS search, if you even did, but I don't know that NCIS is going to tell you much because people have to declare one fandom, and if they've put Tony in Hawaii Five O or they've put him with Stargate, well, then, we still got a hundred and two, hmm. which is more than I expected. There you go. But if you even if you look at the Quantum Bang, we have um, a, uh, 11 of our 11? I got that right? Or was it more? I think it was 11. 11 of the stories that were completed for the uh, 28 were Harry Potter. Yeah. So, but I would be hesitant to put a small fandom and I do consider NCIS pretty much a small fandom um, up as a central challenge because it would, um, I think it would limit people from participating. People who've never watched it, who don't have the ability to get the canon. Um, whereas Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, um, they're all very easy to get. Eh, well, I, I, I actually, I would not want to write Lord of the Rings. Honestly. No, me neither. But I'm just but, saying but, that but it's a big fandom. About but so is Supernatural, and I'd be checked right out of that thing. challenge too. I actually don't particularly, personally, don't particularly like fandom-centric challenges. Um, that's just me. When we did the Battle of the Five fandoms, and you could pick your fandom from a list, that was cool. But when it's a specific fandom, I, I often had the hardest time plotting and coming up with a final idea because it just <sighs> often feels really. What because was that? big fandom, popular fandom is kind of it's like a little bit. We wouldn't go with some of the obviously big popular fandoms. Okay, well, we did the Battle of the Five fandoms. Um, let's just do this one sheet. We had 14 NCIS signups out of... Wait. Battle of the Five fandoms took place in... July 7, 2017, we had 47 signups, and 14 of them were NCIS. And let's see. I'll what was I? What was I signed up as? And then we had 18 Wolf. I'm, I'm so, curious. In, in in that challenge, what did I sign up as? Because okay. I'm pretty sure I signed up as Hawaii Five O. Um, even though even you though did the NCIS, Tony's you did Catalyst. Oh, but I was I'm surprised I put NCIS as the fandom though, because usually we only get to put one fandom down. Oh, NCIS was the only was the fandom. We had to pick the, one of the five fandoms. That's right. Right, and you did um, NCIS and Hawaii Five O, right? Yeah. I forgot about we had we had to pick from the fandom list because usually when I sign up for an NCIS story, it's usually I don't sign up as NCIS. I usually sign up for whatever fandom I'm putting Tony in. So we had eighteen Wolf, and then we had seventeen Stargate. But even as big as Stargate is, and it is for me, I still would not probably do a Stargate-focused challenge. 
I'm not sure I'd do another Harry Potter, even though it was popular. Um, we did Stargate and Harry Potter together that one time. Yeah. Um, where it was a boot camp where we had one story. That was 2014 summer, I think, where it was Harry Potter I and Stargate. You don't, it doesn't matter. The specific date doesn't matter. It was definitely boot camp, though, because um, we had to do um, both. We did uh, two stories in 2014, two 10Ks. Um, that's all I have on the thing. Hold on. Yeah, one was Stargate and one was Harry Potter. And I hadn't written in either fandom at that point. You wrote Restoration for Harry Potter. Mm -hmm. option, yeah, and option C for... Actually, I think option C might... I've, I've come to like writing in Stargate. But at the time, I think that is my least favorite thing I've ever written. Is that really? Story. Yeah. Actually, kind of almost it's my least favorite it. thing I've ever written. When it comes to fandom, probably Dark Places in the Soul. Hmm. That's mostly because that fan pissed me off so much. Oh my god! Oh my god! One person managed to do something that the almost like I don't know twenty five people in the Sentinel fandom couldn't do. It doesn't make me hate my own story. <laughs> That really sucks. <sighs> Much as I like a fairy tale AU, I'm not sure I would do one on Rough Trade. Like, you know, make, make that a structured theme. Um, I think that... Uh, I think people would have a hard time interpreting it. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And it, I think the questions would be endless. But I'll never, do, I'll never do another single challenge, a single POV challenge. Because number one, most of you didn't do it right, and it was really irritating. And it's really irritating because we spent months trying to explain it to you. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I think, I think, but for especially for Kira, it was like doubly irritating because she really was hating doing it, but she did it. And some people just didn't even bother to attempt. There was, I remember there was, there was one, I, I sat down to read it and like, there's like three points of view in the first chapter. And I was like, fuck you. I was like, okay. close. I, I, I couldn't. And it looked like I was over here busting my ass. I'm sweating spinal fluid. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was like, they didn't even attempt it. And it was like, okay, that's just really irritating. And the, we had multiple podcasts about point of view. We had, we had FAQs going on and, and it, I could, I could see for people who have struggled, who've never written for single point of view, having a slip up here or there. There were just too many people who didn't even try. So that was just super frustrating. And so in part, because I think that we learned something about that in that challenge, which is that if it's going to take a lot to try to convey what's going on. But the worst um, part is, is that it shouldn't have. That should it have is a very simple. simple concept to understand. And point of view is writing basic, so I was really surprised that that was. But if we look at other challenges that was difficult to convey. I to would um, actually love to have a first-person challenge, but I think it would get me cussed out, so no. Yeah. Um, urban fantasy was difficult to explain. We had, a, we had a lot of explaining about that one. Understandably, because the line between paranormal romance and urban fantasy is thin. And it basically comes down to some nuance in your plot. Is your romance a subplot or is it the main plot? <laughs> if you can't call it yeah, a subplot. I'd have been much more comfortable writing a paranormal romance. Yeah, me too. Well, me too. Thinking. Um, and then 
we had uh, the other the other one the other one was difficult to challenge was last um last november wound up being hard to explain the mutant one the not the not quite human thing we didn't call it mutant and we wound up having to explain it anyway the not quite human thing wound up being a lot of questions and that's not a, it's not a bad thing that there's questions it's that it we never seem to quite explain it what people could people could get right so either people weren't reading the questions that the FAQs that were there or the questions that had already been asked and they just were answering their question, asking their question that had already been answered because they were being lazy or it was because it was a very difficult concept to understand. And it's really hard to say which was going on. We have a new story published on the quantum bang. Um, who just went live? A few minutes been, ago. Uh, yeah. Turn a page of fate by, Chi is that Chimera? Oh one, Chimera, yeah, Chimera. Oh one, uh, you would say that. That's how I would say um, it. It is Harry Potter. It is ninety-five thousand words. We've had some long Harry Potter stories, um, and then we have um, coming out later in the afternoon. Um, Van Prave story is coming up. Just supernatural. So, it's called. Fighting I was Champ. telling Julie that we are, you know, one third way through the Quantum Bang. Yes, we are. Sadria's story went up. Um, Isn't that crazy? Remix 394 went up earlier today. I have not really had much chance to read because I've been repairing my site all day. One third. Hello? Yeah? Did Jilly leave? No. Can you hear me? I see that her mic is showing that she's talking, but I can't hear her. You still can't hear me? Can you hear me? I can hear Kira. So obviously, er everybody can hear me except Kira. Maybe I, I just I disconnected and reconnected. Okay. Well, <laughs> I think that's a sign that it's time to end this podcast. Uh, I hope you all have a very good evening and say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone.